How's everybody doing this morning? It's great to see all of you here. Um, I, uh, I, I got my driver's license on my 16th birthday. Uh, I was very excited about it. I got my learner's permit on my 15th birthday and waited, I mean, uh, just very excited to get my 16th birthday, uh, uh, to get my license on my 16th birthday, and it's, it's been a great five years since then. Um, no, actually, I was driving in this morning, and I was thinking about uh, the message. I was thinking about the story I'm going to tell you, and uh, I realized that I've been driving longer than I hadn't been driving, and that was, I had like a I'm getting old moment, and it was really sad. I cried a little. And it, w- it was, it was sad. Uh, but when I got my driver's license on my 16th birthday, I, I, didn't, uh, I didn't own a car. Uh, and so I just uh, borrowed my mom's car. And looking back, I mean, it was this fantastic arrangement that her and I had. Um, she paid for the gas. She paid for the insurance. She paid for the repairs. I just drove it. And, uh, and it obviously when she, when she wasn't using it. But like most teenagers, I wanted a car of my own. And so I got one. Uh, I paid 400 bucks for it. You can imagine the c- quality machinery you're getting for that kind of money. Uh, I got a 1982 uh, Volkswagen Rabbit diesel, um, which was because, uh, you know, I thought that owning a car, even a bad car, would be better than borrowing one. And by the way, I was wrong uh, because this is probably the worst car ever made. Um, you know, now the thing is this, is that when I was just borrowing a car and I was not the owner, I, I just, you know, was given responsibility to be able to use it on occasion, I lived a carefree life. Um, all the money that I made uh, working when I was in high school, I, I used to you know, buy guitars and guitar strings and amps and CDs and go to concerts and stuff like that. And, but once I got the car, you know, I became that car's prisoner. I thought it was going to be my ticket to freedom, but I was you know, definitely wrong. And uh, every dollar that I made went to keeping that hunk of junk going. Because now every time that it broke, every time there was a problem, every time it needed tires or some other thing, um, I was responsible for it. Uh, I called the rabbit, the, the rabbit that I had the Batmobile um, because it actually didn't need a key to start. Uh, and not in like the, oh, yeah, like isn't the, new, isn't the new Lexus like? No, not in like the cool new Lexus kind of way. Uh, my starter broke, and they told me it would be like 200 bucks to fix the starter. Or he could rig up this contraption for 50 bucks. And uh, which I could just push a button. I'd pull this thing, push a button, and then the car would start. And I'm like, why are we even having this conversation? The 50-buck solution is the only solution. So, and then I would just put the key in the ignition so I didn't have to keep it in my pocket. Uh, so, uh, then I would, so that's why I called it that. And um, the thing about this car is that the radiator had to be filled every day um, with fluid or water or wh- whatever. And it couldn't go more than 15 miles um, at a d- at per trip. So, because um, once it got went more than about 15 miles or so, maybe 18 miles, the, the thing, everything would start to warm up, and then the radiator would start leaking most of its fluid, and then it would make the most horrible noise imaginable to man. And so, um, so that's kind of why I, I measured every trip that I was going as to, is it more than the 15 miles? Because if not, I'm just going to stay home. And, uh, so, but, and so I want you to imagine, the car had no AC, it had no power windows, no power doors, no power steering. It barely had any power at all. And uh, so that's kind of how, how it was working. Well, one day, um, uh, there's a guy I was in a band with at, at, at the time, and we were at his house writing some songs that were really bad. But um, we were, And then I was leaving um, his house, took my guitar, and I threw it in the trunk. And then I, um, the car started, and, and I just couldn't. Uh, it started acting funny. I mean, I couldn't get the car out of second gear. 
And, um, and anyway, what turned out to be the, um, the clutch was totally gone. And so uh, his dad taught me, well, here's how you get, you have to get this fixed, but here's how you get home. We were able to just jam it into second gear. And he says, now, once you start the car, you just floor it so that it doesn't, um, so that the car doesn't stall out. So that's what I did. And that got me to the first stop sign. And then the car stalled out. And then I had to kind of do that again. And then it got me to the next light. And then it did it again. Um, and so, but I found out that it was going to be like 180 bucks to get this fixed. I didn't have 180 bucks for like a week or two. I just drove it like that, just stalling out every time. The, the people driving alongside of me were not that happy because they were signaling to me that I was number one in their book as they drove, by, as I, they drove past me. And, uh, and, and, and I had this thing that like, as I'm sitting at the light trying to get this thing to go, like being an owner didn't seem as glamorous as I thought it would be. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but I, I think about this sometimes. But do you ever really own anything? Um, I don't think we ever really do own anything. And, and here's the reason why I say that is because nobody really ever gets to keep their stuff, right? Eventually, you leave this life, you go to eternity, and you, you end up leaving everything. Uh, that's why you never see, you know, a, 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 you know, a, a hearse pulling a U-Haul because nobody ever gets to keep it. Everybody leaves it to somebody else. And the sad part to me is that most of us will leave everything that we have to people who will not appreciate it at all. I mean, I, I, it, it bothers me. It bothers me. Guys, think about this. The power tools that you keep nice, that you keep you have hung in your garage in a certain way that you use, they will go to someone who will look for the cord to your cordless drill. Like, where do I plug this thing in? I mean, it's just, ladies, I'm going to tell you, all the shoes that you have, they're going to goodwill once you're gone, and they're going to get sold for a dollar. And, and I know it's sad. When I think about, sometimes I'm sitting in my office, and I look at all my books. I have thousands of books, and some are in my garage, and some are uh, in storage, and, and some are, are in my office. And I think about the fact that, um, you know, that my books eventually are going to go to somebody who's probably illiterate, uh, or at the very least won't read. Uh, for some reason, it just, it, it hurts me. It hurts me. Um, because, uh, but the thing is this, everybody gives everything away eventually. And, and here's the thing, and I don't know if uh, we have like tons and tons of problem with that, that eventually we give everything away. I think the issue is letting go of the stuff while we're, we're still alive and, and while we're here. And that's what I like to call the ownership myth. It's the, this idea that we, we want to hang on to stuff because we actually believe that it's ours. And there's a reason that we have difficulty giving stuff away. Um, and it's simply because we have this belief. It's a myth that we actually own it. And that's what we're going to spend our time talking about today as we conclude this series called The Blessed Life. And, and what I want to share with you is a, a principle from the scriptures, uh, a story from the scriptures in particular that we're going to look at that has um, absolutely revolutionized my life. Um, and, and I believe that it has the power uh, to change yours as well. I believe it has the power to change how you view money, how you view stuff, how you view people, how you view self, how you view eternity, how you view God, if you will let it. Because what this principle does is that it combats the ownership myth. And it gives us a proper perspective on our stuff. And see, it isn't actually even affected if, if you have a lot of stuff or a little bit of stuff. Because you can be really, really attached to your stuff if you don't have very much, and you don't have to be as attached if you have a lot of stuff. But the issue is, it's broad and it's for everybody. And here's the thing, and this is really what it is. This is the simple principle that I learned. It revolutionized my life. I believe it can revolutionize yours. And that is that none of us are owners. We're all stewards. 
Now you say stewards, what is that? What does it mean to be a steward? Um, a steward is this, and it, it, just to give you a definition if you want to write it somewhere in your notes. A steward is someone entrusted to manage someone else's money or someone else's stuff. I'll give it to you again. A steward is someone entrusted to manage someone else's money or someone else's stuff. Today we might call that person uh, a money manager. We might call that person an accountant. We might call that person an administrator. But here is the thing. The Bible never once calls us owners, but it calls us stewards. And the reasons that many of us have some financial issues in our world is because we've been acting like owners and not at all like stewards. You see, God owns everything. And what he does is that he entrusts some to me and he entrusts some to you and he entrusts some to you and he entrusts some to you. And all of us are entrusted with some. But here's the thing. When we view ourselves and when we view our lives and, our, and, and, and the stuff that's in our quote-unquote, possession that way, listen, everything changes. It, it, it changes. It changes our relationship with things, with money, with people, with ourselves, with eternity, with God. All of that begins to change. That's why the Bible would tell us this. It's the first uh, verse on your outline if you're taking notes. It says, so let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and as stewards of the mystery of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. Now, you know, we're in church. It's nice to think that God owns everything, but, but let's be honest. There's another idea at work. And the other idea at work is that we believe that what we have is ours because we worked for it, we found it, we inherited it, we received it, or, or, or something along those lines. Now let's talk about that for a moment. Um, if what we have, we have as the result of a skill. We have a skill that skill is in high demand, so someone is willing to pay us a lot of money to do whatever the skill it is that we have. Um, I think we would agree that that skill is actually a gift from God, right? So if that skill is actually a gift from God, then anything that we would receive because of that gift really is still just simply something that comes to us from the Lord. So let's just say, well, no, it didn't come from a skill. I have this because my parents gave it to me, and, and I received an inheritance from them. I received a gift from them, whatever it is. Well, once again, did you pick your parents? Well, no, you didn't pick your parents. And some of you are saying, I wish I could pick my parents. Well, you, you didn't get that choice. Um, well, if that's the case, but you didn't pick your parents. God somehow organized that and orchestrated that. So once again, it's still something that comes from him. So if you, so you didn't earn it. You didn't really inherit it. It really just came from him. So if every time, no matter which way we go, we follow the trail, it really comes back to him. And see... God never wanted the children of Israel to think in, in an ownership type of way. That's why before they were going to go into the promised land, they stopped just on the other side of the, prom, uh, of the, the Jordan River when they're going to cross over. Uh, they stopped near this mountain called Mount Nebo. And, and, and while they're there, Moses gives them a series of addresses, and, and which is what the entire book of Deuteronomy is, a series of addresses a series of sermons, we might say, that Moses gives to the people to remind them of all that God has done. But what he says to them is this. He says, if you start thinking to yourselves, I did this, all and all by myself, I'm rich, it's all mine, we'll think again. Remember that God, your God, gave you the strength to produce all the wealth so as to confirm the covenant that he promised to your ancestors, if so, it is today. So here's what I want to do. That's where they were when they were about to come into the land. 
But what I want to do is fast forward about 600 years in their history to about 1,000 B.C. or so and take you to what is really one of the most amazing moments and one of the most important moments in Jewish history. Uh, King David, who many of you know, King David wanted to build a temple for God. And he told the Lord that he wanted to build him a temple, and God told him no. He said, David, you've been a man of war. You've shed a lot of blood. So you can't build the temple for me. But here's what I'll do. Um, Your son, Solomon, will build the temple. And so David, not getting discouraged by that, and said, well, my son will build the temple. God says I can't build the temple, but he never said anything about me not being able to gather all of the materials for the temple. So for the next few, a couple of of years, David spends all of his time amassing all of the materials that would be needed for the building of the temple so that the day that he steps out from where he is to eternity and Solomon then becomes king, all Solomon has to do is say, go, and the whole temple is going to be built because David has set everything up. And so... The first part, and we're going to be in the book of 1 Chronicles chapter 29, if you turn there in your Bibles with me. Um, And the first part, the first section of chapter 29 of 1 Chronicles is everyone bringing all of the resources, all of the funds, all of the gold and silver and money and all that stuff to, to, to get the temple built. And then when David sees that everything is there for the building of the temple, it's at that moment that David stands up and prays this incredible prayer. And what we're going to look at this morning is simply the prayer that he prays. And what makes this prayer so important for you and me is that it gives us a glimpse into David's life, into David's heart, into David's view of his, uh, his perspective on possessions, his perspective on eternity. Because David never saw himself as an owner. He simply, even though he was the king of Israel, he's, and, and a very wealthy person, he saw himself as a steward, that listen, that he had all of this simply because it was a gift from God. And it wasn't an issue for him to become prideful or boastful or arrogant. It was something for him to steward. It was something for him to manage in a way that would honor and please God. And that became the issue. Listen, for you and me, we change our view from an ownership mentality and stop believing the ownership myth. And we start living in a way that we start recognizing that we are simply stewards and that becomes the, the thing that changes everything. Well, we're going to start in verse 10 of First Chronicles 29. Here's what it says. It says, Therefore David blessed the Lord before all the assembly. And David said, Bless are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power and the glory, the victory and the majesty. All, for all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head overall. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the first thing I want to share with you in your outline, and that is this, from these verses that we read in David's life, what he says in the beginning of this prayer is is simply this, God owns everything and I own nothing. That's simply what he's saying, God owns everything. Um, Just uh, mentioned my first car to you, I guess I'll tell you about another car that I own. When I was in college, I owned this, uh, this Chevy Cavalier. Um, and uh, later on, it got totally infested with cockroaches, and someday I'll tell you that story. Um, but uh, I used to call it the Cockroach Training Center, and uh, the reason is is because when I would, uh, when I would, after class, when I would walk up to the car, I would see roaches doing laps on the steering wheel, so I knew that they were training for something. And um, 
Well, one day, Carrie and I are, are driving in the, in, in the, in the Roachmobile, and, uh, and she opens the glove box, and she finds this, uh, this pink piece of paper. And she says, what is this? And I said, oh, that's the title to the car. And she said, um, that's what I thought. Uh, here's my next question. Are you completely out of your mind? And, I, and I'm like, well, why do you say that? She says, do you know that if someone steals your car with the title in it, it becomes their car? Because they own the, they have the title and the car, and uh, because whoever has the pink slip actually owns the car, and I said, uh, you know, I didn't know that, but if you want to know anything about ancient Mesopotamian culture, I'm your guy, and uh, and and so now this is the thing that David is saying in the opening of this prayer. Guess what? He's saying God is holding the pink slip on everything. All the stuff that we think is ours, all the stuff that we think belongs to somebody else, God is holding the pink slip on everything. That's why he says in verse 11, for all that's in heaven and in earth is yours. All of it. Everything that we think is ours, everything that we're giving to you, that we think we're giving to you is actually yours to begin with. You see, because the truth is, is that if we really owned something, we'd be able to keep it forever. But you can't keep it forever because nobody takes it with them. And the important thing for us to note is this, and this is the thing I think is really huge for us, is that your spiritual life depends on this. Your, your, spiritual, your ability to grow in maturity in Christ depends on this because no one grows to maturity in Christ and, and can live like an owner at the same time. Only stewards grow to maturity. Why is that? Because they aren't at odds with God in making stuff an issue. They don't have the pull of stuff leading them in one direction and God seeking to lead them in another direction. In the book of Deuteronomy, once again, in chapter 10, this is what uh, Moses would say to the people, God would say to the people. He says, and now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all of his ways and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you today for your good. Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God, also the earth with all that is in it. You see, all of it, he's saying, belongs to God. Now, the issue here, once again, as I mentioned, Deuteronomy is a series of addresses that he's giving, right? Because here's, here's what you've got to understand. Why? I want you to think about the verses that we just read. Um, he says this to them. He says, what is God asking of you? He wants you to love him. He wants you to walk with him. He wants you to obey him, right? And then he says this. Uh, oh, by the way, everything also. Uh, and then after he says that, he says, by the way, everything belongs to God. From the highest heavens to the earth, it's all his. Now, how do you make that connection? Because if you're reading Deuteronomy and you're like, what does God want? He wants you to love him and obey him and serve him. Oh, by the way, everything belongs to him. And it's like, what, why is that? Because you've got to understand that these, these people, that the, the children of Israel, were slaves for 400 years in Egypt. They're coming out of slavery. They're going into a land that God has prepared for them. Later on in Deuteronomy, God would say to them, you're getting vineyards that you didn't plant. You're getting crops that you didn't, uh, th th that you didn't work for. You're getting homes that you did not build. I'm giving all of this to you. And the idea was this, so that they would not be puffed up in pride, thinking that it's like, well, I built this, I did this. Instead, he says, remember, you were slaves. 
Remember, in Deuteronomy 5, he says, Remember that I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself, that you might be my own special people. And now he's teaching them, now you're, you're slaves, and now you're free. And what I want you to do is not now become a slave to your stuff as you're going into this land and getting stuff that you never even worked for. Instead, what I want you to do is you're a slave, now you're free. And from free, I want you to stay there. The only way you stay there is not thinking you're an owner. It's thinking that you're a steward. You see, that's why God, when he gave them the land, one of the things that he says to them is, by the way, this land is mine. He never tells the children of Israel, he says, I want you to take this land and possess it. But he never tells them that it belongs to them. Throughout the Bible, the thing that he tells them is that this land belongs to me. And that's why when the children of Israel stopped, started thinking like owners and stopped thinking like stewards, that's when they got into trouble. You see, when... The droughts came, and they said, well, we, if we start worshiping this other god, then he'll bring the rain. But what would happen? That they're thinking now they're responsible for this. But once again, a steward is not responsible for making it happen. A steward is responsible for managing what it is that God entrusts to them. And so what takes place? Well, what takes place is, is that now God gives them, he, he, he let, gives them the land to possess, but when they start, obey, start following another God, what does he do? He sends them away. He sends them into captivity because he says, remember, this land is not yours. This land belongs to me. And the only way that you're going to be able to stay in this land is if you steward it well. And if you don't steward it well, then it's going to get taken away from you. You see, owners have to worry about how it's going to work out. And they've got to figure out all the money stuff and all that. Stewards simply obey what God has told them to do, and it's God's problem. You see, most of us know the verse, you know, sometimes we quote it, you know, Jesus says, don't worry because tomorrow has enough problems in and of itself and all that in, in Matthew chapter six. But do you know that the context of that is, is talking uh, all of this, this issue of possessions and, and money and all of that? That's the context. In fact, let me read it to you. Um, it says this. Um, it says, no one can serve two masters. For he'll either hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And are they not of more, are you not of more value than they? And then he goes on, and at the end of the statement, he just says this, and, and that's, that's in verse 26. If you go then to verse 33 and 34, he says, so do this, seek first God's kingdom. And all this other stuff that you worry about will be added to you, and don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will take care of itself. The idea is this, is that if God is the one that you follow, we experience peace because we're not the owners. Instead, we're stewards. And when we do what he wants us to do with our stuff and with our resources and with our money and all that, we experience peace because owners have to worry about what's going on. Stewards simply have to manage it. Well, David goes on after he tells them that, uh, after he, he prays to God, he says, God, everything that I have, everything that we have comes from you. He says this in verse 12. He says, both riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all. In your hand is power and might, and in your hand... It is to make great and to give strength to all. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention. Now, here's the second thing, right? We're saying God owns everything. I own nothing. Now, here's the second thing, which is just maybe a variation of the first point, and that is that everything I have, 
comes from God. Everything you have comes from him. Now, some, some of you maybe were here last week and you're like, oh boy, is this one of those like give God 10% talks? No, it's actually not. It's a God owns 100% talk. So I don't know if that makes you feel better, but anyway, it's, that's what it is. And um, now, but, let, but speaking of that, I, I'll tell you this. I mean, the reason that people don't tithe and don't give God uh, the, the, fir- the first 10% that he, that, he's, that he talks about in the scriptures, here's why, um, is because they think it's their money. The reason that people give to God begrudgingly, um, they give many things, is because they think it's their money. The reasons that people ask questions like, now, if I tithe, do I have to tithe off the gross or can I tithe off the net? I mean, that's, well, I mean, what, what, that, that's just a, some, sometimes it, we're just thinking like, well, it's, it's, it's my money. I'm trying to figure out what I can do. How do I give God as little as possible and keep him happy with me? But see, people who give cheerfully are those who have learned that it all belongs to him. You see, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, it's in your notes. Here's what it says. God loves it when the giver delights in the giver. Everything we have comes from him, and he decides where it goes. Owners decide where the stuff goes. Stewards simply carry out the owner's wishes. Problems we begin when we decide we aren't going to put the, the stuff, put the money where God wants it to go because we've decided to get into the owner's role. Now, can I share something with you that really concerns me? Here's the thing that really concerns me. Do you know that right now, right now in 2011, there is enough money just with Christians. um, There's enough money to finance the Great Commission throughout the entire world. Now, some of you know the Great Commission. Many of you do. Um, It's there in your notes. You know, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, um, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. Right. Uh, So Jesus saying tells these disciples you go into all the world and preach the gospel and share the message of jesus now i want you to think about this there is enough money in just in with christians in america um to to fulfill the commission that jesus has had given to us two thousand years ago think about that that means there's all the money's available for all the bible colleges to be built for all the missionaries to get trained for all the for the Bible to get translated into all the languages. I mean, all of that is, is there. And by the way, it's not just um, Christians saying, well, if we just give 90 and keep 10, that, that'll do it. No, if Christians just tithed, there would be enough money to finance the Great Commission. But then what's stopping it from happening? It's Christians who see themselves as owners. And they're hoarding what God wants them to share. And see, I want you to imagine the heart of God who wants, you know, the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 3 that God is not willing that any should perish. And so what he does is he's blessed us so much for that, for us to be able to simply obey him in, in, in giving the tithe so that we could finance the Great Commission and see people reach, see the world reached uh, with the gospel. And yet here's what happens. And then uh, as Christians, here's what we do many times. Instead of giving the tithe, we hoard it and we consume it ourselves. And then we pray and say to God, God, I'm sorry, but I need you to give me some more because all that I consumed and didn't do what you wanted me to do hasn't been quite enough. Listen, the day that we see that everything that we have belongs to God, that everything in heaven and earth is his, and that everything that has been entrusted to me is simply a gift from him, and everything that you have has been entrusted to you is is a gift from him. Listen, that's the day 
that not only God changes our life and our world, it's the way, it's the day that the entire world begins to change. Because we will begin to see ourselves as partners in what God is doing. And that's the amazing thing. Um, Now, let me just explain something for a moment here that confuses people. Because sometimes we don't know, when we talk about um, stewardship and we talk about giving, there's so many opportunities, right? And we're like, where do I even begin? Um, Well, there's three terms that the Bible uses for for giving. Um, And so what I want to do, and maybe on the side of your notes somewhere or on the back page where it actually has just a note section, you may want to write this down. There's three words that I want to give you that the Bible talks about. Number one is tithing. Now, I mentioned this last week if you were here, but tithing is when we return to God the first 10% of our income. In Old Testament times, the tithe went to the temple. It was the place where you grew spiritually. In our case, it's the church. If Calvary is your church home, then it's here. If your church home is somewhere else, then it it goes there. Um, But this is where, where the tithe goes. It goes nowhere else but to your local church. Now, the Bible also talks about something else. It talks about something that are called, this is the second term, what are called offerings. Now, offerings is where God gives us freedom um, to give wherever it is that we might feel him leading us. Things that we're passionate about or things that, you know, he's really birthed something in us and and we really feel strongly about. And so maybe um, there's a missionary that that you know that's doing great work and you say, you know what, I'm already tithing, but I want to do something um, for this missionary. Well, listen, God would give us the freedom to be able to do that if there's uh, a missionary work or a charitable cause that you believe in. But once again, this is all now above and beyond the tithe. My wife and I, um, so there's a couple of missionaries that we support and, uh, and we give to other causes that are important to us. But once again, that's, um, that's all after what happens with the tithe that, that, that goes here first because that's what the scriptures teach. But see, then there's this third term that the Bible uses. There's tithing, there's offerings, and then there's this other term that are called alms, A-L-M-S, alms. Alms is when you help the poor, when you help someone in need. So let's say you have a family member that's in need and you help them out financially. That's alms. Uh, You see someone who is in a tough situation and your heart goes out to them and uh, you're walking down the street and you just, you know, you just give them some money. That that's 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 alms that you might give to the poor, someone who's homeless or going through a very tough situation. Now, I've had people say to me in the past, see, I tithe by helping out my mom or by helping my brother. Well, listen, I think it's good to help your mom. I think it's good to help your brother. But once again, we're, we're mixing the terms. Um, that's not tithing. That's giving of alms. The tithe is mandatory. That's something that we bring to the house of God, that we return to God. Offerings, alms, these things are optional as God would lead us. And once again, the key is this. You say, well, man, how am somebody supposed to do that? You know, well, the way that that you do it, number one, is not by ramping up your lifestyle till you're living on 105 percent or 110 percent of what you make. So it's about getting a budget and really understanding where you are. And if you haven't signed up for a financial seminar, um, you, you need to do that today and sign up for that. But but the other thing is, is this. The hope would be this is that you're so faithful in the tithing part that God blesses you in such a way so that you're able to be generous in the other two. Listen, stewards understand this designation and how God wants his money handled. Owners think this way. I'll give what I want whenever I want, if I want. That's not how a steward thinks. A steward thinks I'm going to do it how God wants me to do it because it's not just mine. It's actually his. And the, the, rich, the, the person who says, I'm going to give what I want, when I want, if I want, 
So that person will never experience the blessed life because they're thinking like an owner, not like a steward. Well, here's the last part. David says this in verse 13. He says, now, therefore, our God, we thank you and we praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? For all things come from you and of your own we have given you. For we are aliens and pilgrims before you, as were all our fathers. Our days on the earth as are a shadow and without hope. Now, if you pause there, here's the last thing I want to share with you. And that is that stewardship is an honor and a privilege. It's an honor and a privilege to be able to give something to God. That's why David says in these verses, he says um, in, in verse 14, he says, you know, who are we? that we would be able to offer to you something like this, that we would have this opportunity because everything comes from you and everything that we give to you is really already yours to begin with. But see, it works kind of like this. Um, the other day, my family and I, we were just wa- we were at the house, we were watching TV. And um, my, my kids, there's this like healthy snack that, that uh, Carrie gets. It has a very weird name. Uh, it's called uh, Pirate's Booty. And uh, I know, just... Get it, go ahead and laugh, get it out. And uh, it's a weird name, but it's actually a very delicious snack. And um, so I gave Mia this, um, what, we'll do, what we do sometimes, we'll take like a, a sandwich, like a Ziploc bag, and we'll put some of the, the snack, you know, the little, they look like Cheetos, basically. And um, so we put them in the, in the Ziploc bag, and then we give, uh, I gave some to Mia. And uh, my son, Alexander, wanted some, and I said, Mia, give some to Xander. And she said, but Bobby, it's my pirate's booty. And I said, well, I, I recognize that, but I, I need you to give some, I give one to your brother. So she goes into the bag and finds like the smallest morsel of pirate's booty and gives it to her brother. Now, as she's doing that, I'm telling her, give some to your brother. And then I say, and give me some too. Uh, and so, but see, as she gives one to her brother and then they both hear me say, and give me some. Well, my son comes over and gives me his little morsel. And he just hands it to me. And I'm like, Xander, you love Poppy. You're, you're the best little boy ever. Well, what do you think, what do you think happens? Because I, I, asked Mia, I actually asked Mia for the, for the pirate's booty, which is just a weird name. And, uh, and so I say, but she doesn't want to give me one. My, my son takes this little morsel that he has and gives it to me. Well, what do you think I did? I went into the pantry and I brought him a whole brand new bag of pirate's booty. And I said, Xander, this is for you. And then my daughter and I had a conversation about generosity. And, um, and, 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 and here's the thing. And here's the thing, right? If this is what I do with my kids, what do you think God does? The exact same things. The exact same things. He looks for stewards. People that don't see themselves as owners. And you know what he does? He blesses them. People who are willing to be generous, and you know what he does? He gives them more. Why? Because he knows they're not going to hoard it. He knows they're not going to worship it. He knows that they're not going to make it an idol in their life. You see, my daughter's dilemma is the same problem that many of us face. We think it's our pirate's booty. Whatever you want to put that label on, we think it's ours. It's my car. It's my house. It's my stuff. It's my bank account. Uh, it's, it's, It's all of this, and that's why we can't let it go. And God's word to us 
is that if we can stop seeing ourselves as owners and start acting like stewards, we would experience the blessed life. That's why David says in these verses, he says, who are we? Who are we that we would have the privilege and honor, God, to be able to give something to you? He saw stewardship as a privilege, as an honor to be able to do something for God who has done everything for him. You know, um, those of us who give here, I, I told you the stats last week. It's, a, it's over a thousand people in the last two years that have come to know Jesus here that were headed for an eternity without God and now are going to spend eternity with him because of the intersection they had here at Calvary and the preaching of the gospel. Do you know that those of us who give here, do you know it's an honor to be able to give here? Because the preaching, because, because we give, it allows us to rent this facility and, and have staff and all that stuff that, that allow the preaching of the gospel to go forth, and now lives are being changed. You see, and that's why, I told you this last time, is that that's why you don't get the warm fuzzies when you, when you write the check to FPL, because you know that it's not going to last for eternity. Right? When you write the check to Visa, your cable company, it doesn't, it doesn't last for eternity. But what we do here, what we give to, give to God, listen, that is what lasts for eternity. It's an investment into eternity. And not only that, but then God blesses us for our stewardship now and in eternity. It says this. This is the last verse in your outline. It says this in Luke 16. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. And so if you have been trust, if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? You know what makes stewardship and giving much easier? When we see how much Jesus has given to us. And that's one of the things that communion does. It reminds us. It reminds us of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, of how the Bible says this in 1 Timothy. It says that he who had everything became nothing so that we might inherit everything. It's this amazing thing that God who inhabits eternity became a man and died the cruelest death you could possibly imagine and rose again from the dead so we could experience forgiveness, eternal life, an inheritance now and in the world to come. You see, the only response for us, for this one who gave everything for us, is to be willing to give everything to him. So here's what we're going to do. Um, in just a moment, I'm going to pray. The band's going to come out, and as they do, um, I'm going to motion for you to come forward and then for you to partake in the elements. And I want you to hold on to them because we're going to partake of the elements together. But it's going to be just a couple of moments for us to really connect with God and maybe do business with God if we haven't. Maybe there's some ownership stuff that needs to get dealt with. Maybe there's some lack of stewardship that needs to be handled. If that's the case, this is the moment. Let's pray together. And Lord, we want to thank you. We thank you for the fact that you who have everything would entrust something to us. You who encompassed everything became a man, became like someone who had nothing so that we could inherit eternal life, forgiveness, grace, and peace in eternity. And so for that, Lord, we're so grateful.
So we pray that these moments that we spend in communion, that we really would commune with you. And God, that you would speak to us and help us to understand that, God, we earn nothing. You earn everything. You're simply stewards. Help us to be better stewards. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to invite you to come forward and uh, you take the elements back up. I'm tired of being the king of this mess. I take off my crown and lay it at your feet. Break these chains that bind me. Take me in your arms. I am yours. I deny myself. Take up the cross and follow you. Wherever you go, I deny myself. Take up the cross and follow your. Wherever you go, release me. I'm tired. Of being the king of this mess. I take off my crown and lay it at your feet. Break these chains that bind me. Take me in your arms, I am yours, I am yours, I am yours. I deny myself, take up the cross and follow you. Wherever you go, I deny myself. Take up the cross and follow you. Wherever you go, release me. Release me. And you. God in heaven you left your throne died on the cross on the third day you rose and you are my God
in heaven. You left your throne, died on the cross. On the third day you rose to release men. In First Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul writes, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. A body that was broken, a body that was bruised, yet a body that was resurrected that brings us life and peace. Eternity, heaven, forgiveness, everything. Take of the bread together. And he says, in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This is the new covenant in my blood. Do this, this do, as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. See, the, Peter would write that it's not, you haven't been redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, but instead with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Let's partake of the cup together. Father, we thank you for forgiveness. We thank you for eternal life. And yet, when we think of all you've done for us, thanks doesn't seem to be enough. But Lord, as a response to you doing everything for us, God, we want to obey you. We want to walk with you in every area of our life. We make this vow, this promise, at this moment in this place together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.